Hey, welcome to the show. Welcome to the live Q&A. My name is John Papaloni. And Joseph Cicada. Want to welcome you to our show today. We have an exciting episode. It is our bi-weekly Q&A. Joseph is our guest today. And we're going to start off with question number one. We're going to send it off to Joseph. All right. So if I signed a lease to begin on July 1st, and I discovered after the fact that I am close to undesirable things like a strip club, or the area is an area that's not so desirable, can I cancel my lease agreement and can I get my deposit back? Um, the short answer to this question is no. Um, unfortunately, all of that information, should you should have done your research beforehand. Once you sign that lease agreement and it submits and it's accepted, you can't make any changes. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah, if you sign a lease and agreement and then you find out you're next to a strip club, a church or something you don't want, you kind of needed to do the due diligence beforehand. Um, now, again, that's something you might have not known, but if you're using a realtor, that's something they might have brought up. Um, or they might have told you about areas. You tell them the area you want. They might have told you... Uh, you know, figured out why you wanted that area and then uh, let you know what they possibly know. But again, let's not just blame the realtor because you know what? Part of it is on your own due diligence too. That's something you should have done your research on as well. It is a little bit late, but uh, the one thing you might be able to do, and Joe, you can correct me on this, is reach out to your agent to reach out to the uh, landlord's agents and ask them if they'll let you out um, maybe with a penalty, maybe if you offer them, let them keep the deposit or the first month, they'll let you off the hook. That's a possibility. If you're willing to lose a deposit, if it is really that important to you to get out of it, that you really can't live there. Yeah. It might be worth losing the one month's rent and uh, see if they'll accept that. But if they say no, it's no, then pretty much uh, live in it for the 12 months and move on. Oh, 100%. Like it's all now determined on what you can negotiate with the landlord if you even if you find someone who can take over your lease you still need to run that by the landlord and make sure everybody's happy and everything just works but yeah it's it's not in your control anymore you do have to get permission to do that right exactly so before i move on to question number two what i want to say if you're watching the show and you have a question Feel free to put it in the comments and we will get it and we will answer your question. It is a live Q&A and we're answering live questions and we're answering uh, questions from people who sent it to us in advance. With that being said, question number two, interest rate increases have begun again and that has me concerned. How will that affect us going forward? And is this the beginning of another long, painful trend for the rest of the year? And the quick answer is I don't have a crystal ball. <laughs> but, <laughs> but with that being said, now, again, they're basing this on inflation and we have no idea how inflation is going to take part here. So inflation keeps going up. Chances are my guess is that interest rates will keep going up as well. Um, if they decide they want a new Ferrari or a new jet and they want the taxes to pay for it, interest rates will go up. If they decide they want to have some friggin mercy on people, they might stay the same or go down. Inflation goes down, that might come down. Now, let's be honest, and I'm going to go to Joseph on this one right after. If the uh, if you're expecting interest rates to go back down to the 2% or 3%, 
I don't think we're going to see something like that ever again in the la and in the next 10 to 15 years in my opinion. I don't think it'll ever go that low. Do I think it's going to continue going higher and higher and higher uh, to no end? Probably not. I think there will be at some point in time where it will cool off and rest. But what rate who knows? My my thoughts and my crystal ball thinks that we'll probably uh, land between four and four and a half percent, three and a half if, it, if the economy is really, really bad. I don't think it'll go below that ever, uh, at least not in my uh, era. Joe? John, I got to find this crystal ball everyone keeps talk, talking about. Um, yeah, so technically we experience uh, if interest rates go up, house prices should come down. Um, but that hasn't been the case. Uh, interest rates have gone up and prices kind of seem to be flatlining at this point in time. Um, but they did kind of go down and then going back up. It's been a crazy market the last couple of months. Um, but yeah, so it, like it's, 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 it's hard. It's, we expect interest rates to kind of go up, but also at the same point, a lot of people are still locked into their fixed rate mortgage of 2%. Uh, most mortgages that I'm aware of, most of my clients that bought recently, they're locked in until about 2024, 2025. So when we get to that point, when they have to renew and they're a million plus mortgage at 6% versus 2%, that's a big difference. So yes, right now the interest rate went up because the economy looks really good. We had a first good quarter in Canada, but once we start, when people start paying that 6% interest rate, it's going to be fun. Yeah, well, that's uh, that's going to be key now. Now, I'm going to tell you something that had I not moved, I would have been one of those ones that had that 2.9 or 3.0 or whatever interest rate. And uh, yeah, I would, I would have been about 12 months away from the increase. Now, uh, reality is, to be honest, that rate increase didn't affect me one way or another because um, I got the new interest rate. I don't even know what my interest rate is, but it's I'm paying the new rate at the new place. So um, and I'm not bragging. That's not what I mean by it. I'm just saying that this is a fact of life. This is something we have to face. And the one thing people have to remember, we were stress test when we got those three percent. So technically, is not if nothing had changed in your life and you have no new debt, that extra five and a half percent or the five and a half percent that it's at or four and a half or whatever it is, you should be able to afford it because you were stress test on that to say that you could afford it. Um, with that being said, times changed. And um, I think personally, and I think we've been in a recession for the last six months, I think it's gotten a little bit deeper, even though uh, nobody wants to admit it. Uh, I look at it and just say, look how many stores are closed. Look how many, uh, you know, for lease signs are up. I mean, if you look at the states, uh, office buildings are friggin' empty. People are walking away. Uh, residential though, and this is the main thing we focus on here and residential, residential still holding on strong. It's not, uh, you know, all the people waiting for the, uh, crash. I got news for you. Whatever crash we had going to have, I think we already somewhat saw it. We saw the drop. We're kind of on recovery. It'll be a slow recovery, but I think we're on the recovery path. Even if uh, at worst case scenario flat, I don't see it coming down another 20%. So with that being said, you know, that's my perspective on where the interest rates are. And then that's, uh, you know, will it be painful? It might hurt a little bit, but there's still plenty of opportunity out there if you want to take a look at it. Oh, absolutely. Lots of opportunity out there. All right, Joseph, let's take it away with number three. Okay. Uh, so I purchased a home, went for a final walkthrough five days before closing. Noticed that the grass was not cut and at about knee height. Ooh, it's tall. Uh, should I say something or just get some lawn tools and cut it myself? 
or do I get the lawyer to hold back some funds? Well, that's very interesting. That's um, I think that you might want to reach out to the other uh, agent or let your agent reach out to the other agent. See if you can get it cut before closing date. Um, in terms of holding back funds, as much as lawyers like to preach that, the one part they forget and they don't take particular interest in is that you're uh, breaching the contract when you hold back funds. So, yeah, like unless, you know, really in, in the proper way is never to hold back funds because if you hold back funds, then you're in breach of contract. And if you're in breach of contract, there's other uh, problems and penalties that come. Um, at the end of the day, reach out to the agent. Uh, get your agent to talk to their agent. Get them to get the grass cut. Worst case scenario, what you do is you get it cut yourself and send them the bill. Get the lawyers to chase them after the bill. Maybe the lawyer can hold back or talk to them in advance. Do whatever. I, I don't think holding back, again, like I said, is a proper thing. But um, at this point in time, it's one of those things. All you can do is reach out to the other agent and let the lawyers deal with it past that. What do you think? Um, I've actually had some experience with this um, just before uh, closing for one of my properties. Um, the, the buying realtor reached out to me and said, uh, we did our final inspection and the fridge was a disaster. Uh, the fridge was included and it, we did say we would make it clean. My client was out of town. Um, they gave me a quick call. I sent in a cleaning company. Uh, my sellers paid for it. Um, we sent them, we sent the buyers the bill that said, Hey, we cleaned the fridge and everything was fine. So most of the times it's better to negotiate with the seller's realtor. Um, because yeah, we, we said in our agreement that everything would be clean and tidy for the people. So we have to present it clean and tidy. So if it wasn't, that's part of our responsibility. Exactly. And that's why I say, talk to the agent, the agent self sorted out, um, because it is part of the deal. That's what you, you know, people want to, you know, clean into your deal. So nobody really wants to drag it out. Nobody wants to fight it amongst lawyers. You know what I mean? Like if grass was supposed to be cut, that was part of the deal, which is usually is the house is supposed to be presented clean once you take possession. And that's what it's supposed to happen. The, the realtors work it out, make sure it makes it happen. And let's be honest, something like the grass cutting, even uh, your agent will probably pick up the tab of the sellers or uh, pricks for a last, lack of better description. So <laughs> it's one of those things. So yeah, get it done. Talk to them. I mean, uh, I would leave the lawyers out of it because that just becomes a disaster. Okay, question number four. I'm interested in a property that is currently in a state sale. Hmm. Um, I would like to be sure that I can move in before the summer is over so that my kids can be in the new house before school begins. Is there something I need to be aware of or anything that needs to be done to make sure that we can get the house and move in on time. I'm assuming that you saw the listing that said it was an estate sale and that there's something called probate. That's what I'm assuming that you're probably talking about. And in that circumstance, yes, you have to make sure that probate is completed before closing because you can't close when uh, technically taxes have to be paid. Now, what could happen is if they can't get it closed on time with probate, what you can do is set in a condition of uh, where you can take possession. You, without closing, you can take possession. In that case, um, it becomes a little tricky, but it's not uh, impossible. You just put that on the deal that you're going to take possession and you have an agreed rate or whatever it is. And you can move into the house, even though it's technically not yours. In that case, your money will probably be held on the lawyer's trust while it's in this in-between stage. And then at that point in time, when the probate is complete, then you can um, 
complete the transfer and then the mortgage will be placed and the buyer, the sellers will get paid at that point. Joe? Um, yeah. So with probate, it, it's, it always usually takes a little longer than the normal deal. Um, yes, you do have options. That is an option. You can, you could rent the house technically before, uh, take, you take possession, but you rent it, um, from the, whoever the owner is originally or the next of kin or depending on how the estate sale is, is at the moment. Uh, but that would be the only way I can think of. Yeah. You have to get some clause in there that you need to be in the house for that certain amount of time. And you better make sure you close that probate and you close that mortgage. Uh, cause if you're in and you don't close, that's a big problem. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Right. Like, and th that's the thing, right? Like, at the end of the day, um, typically the government says it's four to six weeks for probate, but, um, we just came out of COVID and I've seen uh, certain circumstances where that four to six weeks became uh, 60 to 90 days. And, uh, you know, even though you're in a rush, your lawyers might be in a rush, your uh, the sellers might be in a rush, the government doesn't care. They do it at their own pace and that's that, too bad. Um, and I don't think there's any other way to rush them. So it happens when it happens. So you got to just be prepared of what if it happens, what are the alternatives? Sometimes you don't even have to rent because I know the term is, oh, my God, I'm going to have to pay rent when I'm buying it. Sometimes the sellers will just accept the fact that is the fact that they have probate and the probates on them. There's nothing they can do. Sometimes if you just transfer the utilities and you agree to pay the bills and the taxes while you're in there, which would have been bills you would have to pay regardless when you own it. Sometimes they'll accept that as long as they're not getting any more bills, you know, while they're waiting. So sometimes that could be a win-win situation. And that's the key thing in any negotiation. Find a win-win. I mean, too many people out there, and Joe, you agree, you, you can, uh, you know, agree or disagree here. Yes. There's too many people out here that want to be that uh, pit bull and they're like, I got to conquer them. I got to win. Right. And reality is nobody wins in that because everyone's trying to fight each other. Where if you're collaborative and you try to get a win-win where everybody benefits and it works for everybody, I think you have more successful results. Collaboration is key. Absolutely. So that was number four. Let's move on to number five. But before we do that, I'm going to remind you, if you're watching the show and you have a question, put your question in the comments. We will see it and answer it live on this show. So question number five, Joe, take it away. I am reading that a lot of office space in the USA is losing money. Uh, do you think we will have that issue in Ontario? And if so, does that mean we should sell now? Or do you think it will recover and be a great opportunity to buy more commercial office space? Well, that is really unique. That is a unique situation. Um, so COVID was a very interesting time for everybody. Um, and a lot of people are starting to work from home. So a lot of businesses don't need that overhead to have that office space um, and um, just pay for it to have an office when you can do everything from your home. Um, so yeah, we saw a lot of max exodus of offices, but, um, a lot of people, some, depending on the commercial zoning of the building or anything like that, some of the offices got converted into more useful places. Um, we need warehouses like crazy over here in Ontario. Um, but past that, um, yeah, there's, there's always opportunity in commercial office space. Like there's always new businesses, always new and up and coming stuff. There's always, um, stuff you can do in those offices other than just being an office essentially. Well, I think in terms of that, what's going to happen? Yes. The U S there's going to be a lot of people that are suffering, um, in terms of office space. Uh, 
and again, everyone's different. In Ontario, they're trying to get people to actually go back to the office to work. And a lot of workers are resisting because they want to work from home. And there's that little tug of war, and we don't really know who's going to win that tug of war yet. Well, I can kind of guess who's going to win that war short term. I think the employees got a little edge because it's too hard to train people and uh, replace them like that. But I think long term, the employer always wins because at the end of the day, they just knock everybody out, see you later, get lost and hire new people and bam, problem solved. Right. Um, not that I say that's the right thing to do. Don't misunderstand me. But the point is, ultimately, if that's what they wanted to do and they wanted to force it, they can force it, make it mandatory that you go back to work. You, you quit, you quit, you stay, you stay. That's on you. Um, where I have, a, you know, in terms of the actual office space, I do think we will see some reduction in office space. Um, the question is whether this is temporary or not. And that, again, that comes about with a magic crystal ball that nobody has. So nobody knows that. It, do I think this could be an opportunity? It could be an opportunity. Now, where I want to caution is if you have a lot of extra money and you have the ability to buy something where it's not going to stress you out, whether it's rented or empty, then that could be an opportunity. That could be an opportunity for to go in there. You could even do some conversions. And uh, and what I mean by conversions is update it, become a top-notch uh, office that's state-of-the-art that everybody wants to go to. And you might be able to get the ones that are still in the office to want to take possession. You might be able to offer lower rents, which will be a big incentive for people to switch over from where they are. So in a way, you can kind of take the existing business that's out there by doing these kind of things. Um, so that could be an opportunity. Again, when you go state-of-the-art top technology, when you upgrade, you might even be able to charge a premium and get people to go there because they want to have the top-notch uh, you know, technology like internet and uh, whatever else that, that may be offered. So there could be an opportunity. But again, at the end of the day, you got to be able to carry it even if you don't have tenants. If it's one of those things that I need it to be 50% full, or I'm going to be in trouble, then no, it's not an opportunity for you. Um, that's my perspective on it. And uh, I wouldn't fret about it. Again, I, I don't, I think the States are going to get more of the hit with this because they have more people and more people are working from home. I think a lot of Ontario is kind of returning back to the office. People have hybrid systems here. So I, my, my guess is that uh, within a couple of years, I would think, that we're going to have some form of normalcy and whatever that is, is what it will be. But I think we're too, uh, I think it's too soon to say one worry or another. So if you're cash trapped, hold on. If you got lots of cash and you're willing to uh, take on future projects, should it uh, become necessary, then it uh, might be the opportunity to get in. You might be able to get a discount on the building now because there's going to be a lot of vacancies and people are going to be uh, anxious to unload them. So that's my perspective. Joe, do you have anything else to add? Yeah, I mean, if you're in the market currently for an office space, it's not a bad time, but you're already in the market. You're already in the space. Um, that's probably where if you need to do an investment in an office space, now is not a bad time. We don't see them dropping like crazy in price. Um, we just see them just being different than what, they, what we're used to being. Gotcha. Number six. When will environmental tests be needed? Well, that's actually simple. 99% of the time, never. But if you have, a, if you purchase an old gas station or uh, some warehouse or office space that uh, dealt with gases and oils and stuff like that or toxic uh, chemicals, an environment test will be needed. If you're buying residential, probably don't need it unless you have some reason to believe that it wasn't residential before 
So more than likely, 99% of the time, you don't need it unless you're getting into commercial space. Yeah. Uh, the only time you'll ever need it in residential, from my experience, it's, yeah, if it was an old gas station or if, if it was um, built on a dump site, because uh, we have a few new homes being built on dump sites, those do require, but you won't actually need them. It's the builder that has to get them. So yeah, most of the time you don't need them. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Once the house is on it, it's basically whatever is done is done. Um, so before moving on to question number seven, I'm going to remind you that if you're watching the show and you have a question, you can type it in the comments and we will gladly answer it. And uh, we would love to get uh, you know your questions live here and answer them here live. In the meantime, we're going to continue with number seven from a pre-sent question. Number seven, Joe, take it away. In today's economic market, what type of real estate property is best to invest in? A house, a condo, or a townhouse? Simple answer is whichever one you can afford. Next best answer, Joe will get into. <laughs> um, personally, I always find a townhouse or a bungalow. Uh, you want that smallish house because you're either always going to get someone who's entering into the market or you're always going to get someone who's downsizing from the market. Um, they tend to hold their value pretty well. Um, that's, I think my best advice is you're looking for a reasonable size townhouse or bungalow, or, or bungalow, like small house. Bungalows are in high demand. And I would normally love to say that I agree about the bungalow more than likely. If it's your first house, you're not getting a bungalow. No. Um, but you got to work your way up to it. So if you're a first time buyer, get into whichever one you can afford that, as I said earlier, um, Nothing wrong with a condo if that's your start, as long as you get into the market. But if you can afford to take the next step and get into a townhouse, then get into the townhouse, and that's a great way to build in. Eventually, you can work up your way to the house you really want, but that old traditional American dream or Canadian dream or whatever dream you want to call it, where you're going to go out and get your first house, the white picket fence with a uh, two-story, um, like a 200-feet yard, whatever, and you're going to get it as your first house, yeah, keep dreaming. Yeah, unless you're an exception, keep dreaming. Uh, that ain't going to happen as a first-time home buyer. Now, if you're upgrading and you're taking it, maybe that's an option. I mean, again, natural progression. First-time home buyer, buy a condo. You're ready to upgrade, go to the townhouse. You're ready to upgrade, go to into a bungalow ready to, or, or a two-story. And, uh, you know, go maybe a 1,500-square-foot uh, home. Um, you're ready to upgrade, then go to the 3,000, then go to the 4,000. Then at that point in time, you're going to want to downgrade because you're probably at that age where stairs are going to bother you. And then that you can go into the bungalow. Or you can listen to Joe and go straight into the bungalow and you never have to move. That might actually be smarter. Now, I would do that after you progress. Don't over leverage yourself is what I'm trying to say. If you over leverage yourself and just say your mortgage is $2,000 a month on a condo, but you can get approved for, uh, for that bungalow for $3,000 a month, but you're going to be choking every month. Every time you have to make that payment, that upgrade is not worth it. Start with a condo, build the equity, then move up. If you're going to be able to get into that mortgage and pay that mortgage and not fret about it, jump into the bungalow. Joe's right about that. Also depends on which area you're going to buy in as well. Um, I always tell my clients, drop a giant rock in the middle of Toronto and then watch the ripples. Farther the ripples are out, the less you'll pay. So if you really are need to get a house, let's say, it's, it's, a, it's a must. Well, maybe don't look in the city, but start looking elsewhere. Yeah, absolutely. Budget's going to determine that as well, right? Like, uh, again, I'm, uh, you know, you got to figure out where do you work and you got to decide. Let's be honest. If you work downtown Toronto and you decide you can afford a house in Stony Creek, 
You got to ask yourself, are you willing to drive an hour and a half each way to work? Because you're going to do that five days a week. It's not going to be an option. And that's assuming that you don't work from home, but that could change and you don't know the future, right? So you're going to end up losing your job, getting another job, and that job is five days a week and you're downtown five days a week. Now, it's easy to say, hey, I'm going to just get a job close to home. But what are the effects of that? What if you get a job that pays 15 grand less a year where you live? Or your choices go back downtown Toronto for the same pay or even slightly more. That's an hour and a half drive. Can you each way? Can you live with that? If the answer is yes, that's simple. If the answer is no, you might have to settle for a smaller place closer to work. You got to look at your life, uh, you know, where you are in life, what your plans are, what your future, you know, outlook is and where your budget is and kind of pick the uh, medium point. That's my opinion. Stay comfortable and stay afloat. Question number eight. And before I go that, remember, if you're watching it and you have a question, submit it in the comments and we can answer it. Okay, question number eight. Is it possible to still get cash flowing properties in Toronto? If so, what areas and things some, things. What areas and things should someone look to invest for? I think I wrote that wrong because I wrote it with improper English here when I copied it. Um, <laughs> I, I think what the question is I was supposed to say, I go, is it possible to still get cash flowing property in Toronto? If so, what areas should they be looking at and what are some things they should uh, be looking for? And that is very complicated. For the most part, short answer is Toronto, no. If you're in Toronto, you're pretty much getting a negative cash flow especially in today's interest rates um does that mean you should give up and uh, not invest no no consider other places if, it's a, if you're investing you're not living there so who really cares where it is let's be honest i mean assuming that you can somehow do the maintenance and collect the rents and you know somewhat there's opportunities there it's not like you're destitute like if you're in toronto and you want to invest and you want cash flow and you're not willing to pay a property manager. I wouldn't be looking in Calgary, but hey, go back to Hamilton, right? If you go back to Hamilton, you might get some cash flowing property. And I remember at the end of the day with the cash flowing properties, and Joe can contradict me here if he wants, even if you're going to Hamilton, it's not what people think. That image that people have of cash flowing is that I'm going to buy a home. I'm going to rent it out. I'm going to collect $3,000 of rent and my mortgage is going to be $800. That's not the way it works. What's probably going to happen is you'll collect $3,000 and your mortgage will be $2,800 plus the other, or, uh, other other fees that you have to put away and all that crap. What will end up happening is you'll end up with somewhere between $100 and $150 a month of cash flow. The idea is that even if your mortgage fluctuates a bit, you're not in a negative. Regardless of what happens, you have some maintenance to put in, you're not in a negative. That's the purpose of the cash flow. You're trying to get the appreciation over the next five to 10 years before you sell it, flip it, refinance it, or whichever. And that's my, my thought and view. As long as you're doing that, hey, that's pretty cool. You might have to go a little further west. Drive until you do get cash flow. If you can stomach the idea that you might need a management company, then you can look at other places. Look at Florida as an example, Arizona. Look at uh, Calgary. Uh, Calgary has brand new construction projects that are giving you cash flow opportunities. In fact, one of the builders that I come across, they will guarantee the rent for the first two years. So that's an opportunity right there. You don't have to do any of the work because they manage it for the first two years. And at that point in time, you're probably going to accumulate enough where you can afford the management company with no 
harm or loss to you. That's my point of view. Just look at your numbers. Joseph, what is your opinion? Um, my opinion on cash flow is if uh, you get $1 profit a month, it's cash flow positive. Um, we do see a lot of investors um, thinking that when they walk in the door, they're going to buy a place and then they're going to turn around, rent it out and make $1,000 a month. No, that's very rare. It happens once in a blue moon. Um, you're talking a super, super deal. Is it possible in Toronto? Yeah, this is where I'm going to kind of be a little bit off here. S some parts of Toronto are, aren't that bad, but now depends on what are you willing to deal with. <laughs> um, so if you're if you have to be in Toronto, but you don't care what area you live in, because well, you're not living in it. Um, Toronto might be possible, but it's it's a needle in a haystack situation. The like every realtor is going to be looking for that exact thing. So it's possible, yes, likely no. Um, so yeah, look look elsewhere. Look for somewhere where it's going to be almost guaranteed to raise in value, almost guaranteed to bring you some money. As long as you're not losing money, I mean, at the end of the day, your house is getting paid off by somebody else. So even if that house drops in value, you still have it. You still own it. It's still yours. And then it's being paid off by somebody else. So anything that you can invest in, it's not a bad deal. Absolutely. I kind of have a difference of opinion. I, I cash flowing. No, nah, not really. That's my opinion. But hey, you know what? I don't deal with the downtown Toronto too much, to be honest. I actually avoid it. So ironically, even though I grew up in the closer to that, I, uh, I've been out of that downtown core so long that um, maybe I missed something. So but with that being said, I'm going to have an exception. And here's my exception. And not necessarily downtown Toronto, because I still think that that, that, that doesn't apply. But you want cash flowing property and you want a, a reasonable cash flow property, then you're going to look at multiplexes. When I say multiplexes, I don't mean a duplex, a triplex, a fourplex. I'm talking about 24 and up. When you get into those kind of units, then it is still possible to cash flow um, just west of Toronto. It doesn't have to be very far. Uh, and I think that is a possibility. But if you're in that uh, league and you're in that uh, section where you can afford that kind of investment, then it's really a different conversation than a typical, you know, uh, you know, single family home investment. Mm -hmm. um, so if you're in that, in, that, in that section, hey, you know, let's talk. I might have opportunities for you because that's the kind of stuff I love myself. And uh, multifamily, 24 units and up, and there's opportunities everywhere. And you can still cash flow with those, even with the unreasonable interest rates we have today. So you want to know how? Reach out to me. My number is 647-619-2583. Let's have a conversation. Not that this was supposed to be a sales pitch, but that's not the point. <laughs> Anyways, going to question number nine. Joseph, take it away. I live near Yorkdale Mall and have seen new condo buildings going up, but I have not seen a for sale sign anywhere. How is this possible? It says condo, list the builder, but I can't find out how to get one. Ooh. That one's going to be interesting. Um, so if it's brand new and the builder has, like, is just about to release it, you'll never see a for sale sign. Um, they will post it on their website. They will get people interested in it their own way. They will contact realtors for realtors to reach out to our client base. And we will do something called a VIP um, release where we release it to those people who are interested and they emailed us beforehand. Um, those people get first look, first opportunity, first chance, first everything. Um, we do a lot of those in this office. Um, 
we do have we're on a many many vip lists not to plug this office anymore um but um yeah so you have to reach out uh to either the builder or to a realtor who's associated to um the new condo building and uh, we get you in the door we get the paperwork going we do everything right off the bat we don't really need to put a big giant for sale sign anywhere Here's the other thing. I happen to know the answer to this because I have a client who's in the same boat and talking about the same damn building. And um, what ended up happening is they're already building and and there's already stories built, but there's never been any signs. So they're wondering, what the heck? There's been no for sale signs, nothing. Is it a rental building? Is it a... uh, It is possible if it was a rental building and it was like built for rent purpose, that uh, would be an investor building. And if that investor is building it for rent, they're not going to post for sale because there is nothing for sale. In this case, that particular building at near Yorkdale was not a rental unit. That was condos. And more than likely what ends up popping in this process is that friends and family get first dibs. Then they do the second round through real estate agents, such as our office, uh, Royal Page Signature. We do pre-construction. Give us a call. And um, <laughs> so uh, with that being said, um, you know, so then the realtors get the next access and we have that VIP access, as Joe was saying. So that could be the next thing. And now they might have sold the majority of the units just through that process, which is why you would have never seen that for sale sign. But most builders, and I'm not saying this one did, hold on to a section of it for the next round. And that next round is going to be that next round pricing which is where they release it to the public. And that'll be round three, you know, phase three. And that's where everybody gets an open uh, ended uh, opportunity. So that is my guess. And I can't say that for a fact. I can't put a rubber stamp on it and, uh, you know, seal it and just guarantee that that's what happened. Because more than likely, the only reason you wouldn't advertise it is because you sold all the units or the units you didn't want to hold back. Because, you know, I've never heard of anybody. And correct me, Joe, if you agree, but I've never heard of anybody saying, hey, I want to build something and I don't want to make money or sell anything. Let's build it and hope somebody buys it later. Right. So chances are they got most of it sold and that's what's happening. Um, if you have a realtor you like to reach out to other than me, I mean, you know, um, or Joe, you know, you know, you, you can reach out to Joe. Um, but if you don't want to reach out to one of us and you have a realtor that you actually use, reach out to that realtor. They can always inquire with the builder and see what they can come across. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, John, if the building is already being built, it already has to have a certain amount of units sold. Uh, it's a certain percentage, is it not? That's exactly what I said, right? Because if they're built, that means they've already sold it. More than likely between the friends, family and the realtors, they've already uh, unloaded what they needed and they have a hold back mm. of uh, the remaining units for phase three, which is when they raise the price. Yeah, I just I couldn't remember the percentage. Is it like 60% of them the units have to be sold before they actually break ground? Usually, uh, I think it varies, but I think the minimum is 60%. Okay. So, well, that has been an interesting show. Mm-hmm. Kind of unique questions, Joe. They're, they're very interesting questions. I mean, I wish we got more live questions on the air. That'd be great. It's so if you're still watching, still got a little bit of time to shoot a question our way. Absolutely, right? So... Now, before we end the show, let's get into a little bit about your experiences this year with the market. How was your business going? Like, what, what's what's shaking? All right. So um, at this moment in time, the market, it did some funny things. Uh, so we had we had a bit of a drop 
in January, February, and we were already starting to see a very slow recovery. But I mean, I think it was like March or April where I started seeing people going out in masses. Like I went to an open house and there was like 60 people at this Oakville townhouse. Um, and it went for crazy over asking. And then I have a few clients that are buying at the moment in time and we're going out. And uh, just yesterday, uh, we were part of a bidding war and there was like 32 offers. And once again, a townhouse. Um, so that was just that's where we're still at now with this interest rate. I don't know. We'll see. Um, but yeah, it's I'm curious to see what it's going to do in the next couple of weeks or so. See, that's the thing I found myself, right? Like I was, uh, when I was in my place looking for a place myself, I mean, as, as people who follow me know, I went from Grimsby to now the city of Burlington. Um, I lived in Burlington before, went out to Grimsby, came back to Burlington. But with that being said, I kind of got in right before the bidding wars started going uh, a little absurd again. So we had a little bit of a spike, almost, I, I want to call it a spring market, but maybe it was an early or a late spring market, depending what you consider a spring market. And... So I did notice some bidding wars happening out there. I, and I've experienced that. I mean, like, <laughs> I was so fortunate on my last deal that uh, we went through bidding wars. I mean, we went through three houses um, before we got the one we did. The first house, I uh, just flat out lost. It was uh, nowhere near. Second house, uh, the seller took nobody's offer. Um, they actually took the uh, house off the market and then uh, relisted it $400,000 more. So clearly they, they didn't get the numbers they wanted. Mm -hmm. The third house, we had the opportunity to improve the offer and we just didn't. And we just decided, let the person have it. They can have it, right? My clients weren't that uh, emotionally attached to that house. Um, by the fourth house, we got fortunate. We went in at the price the, the seller wanted and they just accepted the offer. They didn't even bother with the bid. So we got fortunate with that one. So, but yeah, it was kind of a scary moment with all these bidding wars happening again mm -hmm. with, uh, I started personally, right. Cause I'm going to reference what you just said about the, um, 34 offers and stuff. I started to see a little bit of a clawback on the bids. Not that it's not happening, but I'm starting to see certain ones that don't have offer dates, certain ones that do. And it's sort of the, uh, I, I think it's almost like the people are on the, what should I do kind of holding, looking kind of side of things mm -hmm. um so it's been a little bit of a claw back but not enough to change pricing not uh, homes are still selling that seven days or 10 days or 20 days or whatever it is mm -hmm. it's just that it's not as quick rapid and as fast as it was before um and now with the new interest rates do i think the market's going to slow down my guess is and this is what i really believe i believe that uh, the people who got pre-approvals will continue because they're already at the old rate. And where I think that's why we're going to see a delayed response to this because people are going to say, wow, interest rates went up and the homes are still selling. It's not that interest rates went up and the homes are still selling. It's interest rates went up. People have pre-approval, so they're guaranteed that old rate. And before the new rate kicks in, it'll be another 60 days. And at that point in time, I think we will see a small clawback. People will get used to it, get more confident. And then they're going to want to move before school starts again. And I think at that point in time, we're going to have a uh, steady flow. I don't think it'll going to go up or down. I think it'll be steady till the next interest rate announcement comes up and to see what happens. And at that point in time, based on that outcome, we'll determine what direction it goes. And that's my opinion, Joe. Yeah, no, I, I don't think prices are going anywhere. I think they're going to be pretty much flatlined for a couple months. Uh, it's just the speed of how, when it sells. 
Um, there's always people that are interested. There's always someone who's going to pay what they're willing to pay. Um, and that's what determines the value. Um, yeah, but yeah, people are just going to do more research, make sure that's exactly what they want. Um, so my clients, yeah, I saw, we saw a bunch of properties that they've, uh, they were supposed to have an offer date, offer date came and went, nothing happened. And then they've reposted it for like a couple, a couple thousand dollars more. Um, and then all my clients are looking at it being like, oh, okay. Like, so they didn't sell. They, this is what they actually want. Oh, let me, let me, let me sit back. Let me think it over. So now my clients just, I'm noticing my clients have more time to make those decisions, uh, which is great. Um, I, I always say, don't rush into the largest decision you're ever going to do. Um, you do need to do your research, your due diligence. You do need to make sure you're happy with your choices, especially if this is a place you're going to live for five, 10, 15 years. Um, but I will just talk about commercial, uh, cause I do have a commercial property currently for sale. And, um, I've noticed, and it's cash flow positive, by the way, like thousands of dollars of cash flow positive, but it's far, it's really far. Um, so most people don't want to deal with that space. So once again, if you're interested in something that's cash flow positive, uh, because as of right now, I listed, I'll say it's listed for 600,000 and it's currently rented out fully for four grand. So do the math, do your research, but it's your, it's about a thousand dollars, give or take on that at the moment for your cash flow. So if you hire a property manager, it's possible to not do very much and the tenants don't want to leave um the the person it's a restaurant slash uh, apartment people in the apartment don't want to leave and the person who's in the restaurant basically just said uh re-signed a four-year lease with them wow based on my math that's an eight percent return mm -hmm. which is pretty good on that if you want to do it on your own now eight percent is freaking fantastic now and, and you're right cash flow positive eight percent return Year over year, that is a great opportunity, regardless of the location. Yeah, you'll you'll pay off the whole thing within 15 years, and it's an up and developing area. There's a lot of new builds and a lot of new development, and it's zoned uh, commercial, zoned commercial everything. So if you don't want to keep it a restaurant and an office later down the line, you can turn it to whatever you want. Love that. The great opportunity. The other opportunity is you can invest with me in a joint venture or you can do private equity mortgages through me, through my business. Papaloni Capital, at any time you want to invest in real estate without the headaches and you want a true passive income, I can guarantee you, almost guarantee you, never 100% because every investment has a risk. But my investments typically pay between 6 and 12%. So if that's something that interests you, reach out. And uh, if you're interested in Joe's uh, commercial listing, reach out to Mr. Joe because he's got a great opportunity if you want to do it on your own as well. Absolutely. I want to say, Joe, thank you so much for being on the show. This has been the Real Estate Q&A for June 8th. I've had a great time. It's been exciting. And we're going to do it again in the future. Joe, thanks again for coming out, man. John, always a pleasure coming here with you. Once again, if you like what you saw, subscribe to the link below and get on my subscription list and you'll get all my updates. This is the Real Estate uh, Show. This is John Papaloni's uh, podcast.